in the Circuit Court of the 18th Judicial Circuit in and for Seminole County, Florida, State of Florida versus George Zimmerman. Verdict, we the jury find George Zimmerman not guilty. So say we all four person. Welcome to the penultimate edition of It's All Politics from NPR News. I'm Ron Elving. And I'm the late Ken Rudin. Ron, yeah. what do you mean by penultimate? Penultimate is... is the new firm that Mark Penn founded after 2008. And Fred Ultimate. That is correct. That's and, right. And they're going to be a polling and general political services firm. This is the next to last political podcast. Yes, that, that is what penultimate means. And it's much sadder than that other definition. Does that mean that the, the, the podcast that we've been doing together since 2006 is coming to an end? After we... seven years. Well, we... I, I know they told you there would be no, no math. math. But it is... The the next to last podcast because the next one will be the last one. Well, we'll reflect on that later, but we should start with the news of the week, and that was what we heard, the uh, the verdict in the uh, George Zimmerman trial. That's correct. Uh, the jury found him not guilty, not only on the murder two charge that uh, basically he'd been tried on, but also on the alternative charge of manslaughter. And that, of course, was a great disappointment to the supporters of Trayvon Martin's family and to those who felt that he was a great victim of racial profiling and violence on the street, guilty of walking while black and all of the various racial connotations and age and crime and stand-your-ground gun laws implications that this case had, all brought to a head on a difficult and murky set of facts, in the end, the jury decided it didn't have enough to convict. Yes, but the political aspect of this is interesting because President Obama, as you well know, the first African-American president, he has been very reticent to talk on racial issues since he's became president. Uh, of course, before the trial started, he did say that uh, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon Martin. Yes, and, and that's a form of involvement for but the a, president to say anything about any kind of a, a criminal trial. But I think I think that actually a lot of people took that as a racial response. And I think it's like we all feel this. You have a 17-year-old unarmed young child, young boy walking in the streets and who just was defenseless. And I think that's what Obama was trying to get at. But it was interesting this week to hear him say things like it was a tragedy for the Martin family. It was a tragedy for America. But ultimately, the jury made its decision. Jimmy Carter even said the decision was not Incorrect. And Jimmy Carter essentially defended the verdict. He did. It has been left to Eric Holder, who yes. is also, of course, not coincidentally the first African-American attorney general, to address some of the implications of this particular verdict. It was interesting to me that when Holder made his comments, it was less about retrying George Zimmerman on federal civil rights violations and more on something must be done about the stand-your-ground laws. These laws try to fix something that was never broken. There has always been a legal defense for using deadly force if, and the if is important, if no safe retreat is available. But we must examine laws that take this further by eliminating the common sense and age-old requirement that people who feel threatened have a duty to retreat outside their home if they can do so safely by allowing and perhaps encouraging violent situations to escalate in public such laws undermine public safety. The list of resulting tragedies is long and unfortunately has victimized too many who are innocent. It seems to me that Attorney General Holder is far less reticent to talk about race and racial issues than the president, and certainly in this case. To some degree, he's been delegated to do this by the president, 
who has been all the way back to his earlier times as a candidate for the United States Senate or even for the state Senate in Chicago, tried to de-emphasize racial identity in putting forward his own claims to office. Uh, he is, of course, biracial. Uh, he is someone who has seen the benefits of being a black person running for office, but at the same time not defining himself as some kind of protest candidate or a minority kind of candidate. He, I think, has as his overriding ambition as a politician and as a president to transcend that identity and to be thought of as a great president without any other adjectives. Well, certainly the verdict is not healing any wounds. Obviously, there are a lot of raw emotions around the country about the Zimmerman verdict, but the, the, the healing of wounds seemed to take place this week in the Senate, once again approaching the nuclear option regarding the filibuster. I thought what Harry Reid said on the morning after they reached the brink of the nuclear option, when he said, this is good for the Senate. This is what's best for the Senate. I thought that sort of said it all, because that's what the Senate does. In the end, the Senate does what's best for the Senate, and it does what's best for the individual senators. Was, That's how the Senate thinks. Was Harry Reid bluffing? I mean, he said, obviously, he's frustrated, the Democrats are frustrated, that more than ever before, Republicans have held up more Obama nominees than certainly the Democrats did with President Bush. But was Harry Reid bluffing, saying that we would change the rules, or was it to reach exactly this conclusion, which shouldn't have surprised anyone? When you get to this kind of conclusion, which, as you say, is pretty much what people who've watched the Senate over the years would expect. When you reach that conclusion, you assume that, yes, he pushed the game a little further than it usually goes, and it was perhaps possible that he had the votes to do it if he really, really had to. Many of those votes were probably promised to him with the general belief that they wouldn't have to be used. So in that sense, you always have some doubt. It is essentially, therefore, a bluff. He doesn't really have cards in his hand he can count on. So he's bluffing, but I think in the end you stop and and wonder at the frustration it must entail to be the Senate Majority Leader under these circumstances where the minority party, with basically close to an evenly split Senate... You're probably going to get closer after 2014. If it doesn't go outright Republican in the 2014 elections... That group has just said, look, we'll filibuster anything. We'll filibuster every nomination. We'll filibuster amendments. At that point, the filibuster has become the Senate. And in the debate preceding the agreement, we saw really hostile and personal nasty things between Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell. But after the vote, they seem to be somewhat at peace. Both sides understand each other better. We've taken great strides to restore the comedy and cooperation that used to define this great institution. We still will be dealing with controversial nominees in the way that controversial nominees inevitably produce a a great debate. And all the options available to the minority remain intact. Look, we know that Richard Cordray was a clear winner. I mean, he sat around for two years without a vote. But ultimately, the question you always ask in Washington is, who won? And that's the question, Who, who won? That is a debatable question, it seems to me, except that the Senate won. I think Harry Reid is right in saying the Senate won. Once again, the Senate preserved for itself a very special set of rules in which the majority does not necessarily prevail and in which a vote is won and lost according to a formula that the Senate has set as a totally artificial barrier. 
a totally artificial obstacle. And that is the basis on which they go forward when they go forward, which is not terribly often. That's the nature of the Senate. And that is the winner. Of course, the rules change that Harry Reid was suggesting was about executive appointments. But what happens regarding the D.C. Circuit Court judges that President Obama has nominated? What happens when there's a new nominee for Janet Napolitano who's leaving as Homeland Security Secretary? What does McConnell do then? I mean, what, what happens when these subsequent nominees remain objectionable to the Republican Party? I suspect they go right back to filibustering, although probably not as often. It would not be as likely that it would be a blanket filibuster the way it has been, and that it will be more of a case-by-case basis, which makes more sense from the standpoint of the minority as well as the majority. They stand to lose if they force the issue by filibustering literally everything. You know something? I mean, we learned a lot about the sanctity of the Senate and the tradition of the Senate. What I never knew is that Mike Enzi was a dangerous liberal. He is a crazy, dangerous liberal who was responsible for a piece of legislation that actually raised some taxes with respect to the Internet and actually had the government increasing its role in the Internet. And therefore, well, as you say, he is some kind of crazy liberal to some people. Well, look, I think we said this last week on the podcast. He has a a lifetime 93% American conservative union rating. So he's a moderate. (laughs) Look, he's not not a rabble rouser, but the point is he is kind of mild-mannered. He's 69 years old. And Liz Cheney, the daughter of the former vice president, announced this week that she will take him on, not because he's not conservative enough, but she represents new leadership. Hi, I'm Liz Cheney. Over the last several years, citizens across our great state have urged me to consider running for the Senate in 2014. As I've traveled to every corner of Wyoming, seeing old friends and meeting new, I've been honored to have had the chance to speak with so many of you about your concerns, your fears, and your hopes for the future. I've listened carefully and discussed the possibility of running for office at length with Phil and the kids. Today, I am launching my candidacy for the United States Senate. That was such a touching speech. I, especially I the reference to fill in the kids. I, I, Phil, who, who doesn't know the names of their kids? Why does she have to say fill in the kids? No, no, no. Filibuster. That was a, that was a oh, referring sorry, to oh. the filibuster. And she said, I love seeing old friends. Another like slap. Really like, old Like Mike friends. Enzi. Okay. Parsing this statement further, notice that she didn't say Liz Cheney. She said Liz Cheney. Did she say that? That's how oh, they pronounce it back that. in Wyoming, and that's how her parents had pronounced it before they went east and heard everybody saying it a different way. I know. Joe said it that You way. know who's upset about that? Joe Thiesman. Well, that, in fact, was the way his family pronounced his name before he ran for the Heisman. I, really? I didn't make that up just now? That's no, a true you did story? not. That is a true story. No, you know, it was uh, actually not him. It was the Notre Dame uh, publicist. Oh. You know, I'm learning absolutely nothing for this podcast. <laughs> well, it's true, but, but it's been a pleasure doing it with you, Mr. Rudden. <laughs> yeah, but at least I know what penultimate means. And now I see why it's the penultimate. Law. But here's the thing. We're talking a lot about, look, it, this seems like nothing more than naked ambition. And when I say that, I'm very aware that people will always refer to female candidates. They're ambitious. Uh, when female candidates want to run for office, it's naked ambition. When male candidates do it, it's just normal. Well, I don't think you'd ever want to refer to naked ambition and Dick Cheney in the same sense. That, that's a vision that will stay with we'll me. We'll let that go away. We'll but, he, but here's the thing. Both Liz Cheney, Cheney uh, in Wyoming and Colleen Hanabusa in Hawaii, who's taking on Brian Schatz in the Democratic primary. Who is the appointed senator who right? got the seat for Daniel Inouye. Yeah, exactly. Both Hanabusa and Cheney seem to be 
just basing their challenges on they want to be in the Senate, not because Mike Enzi or Brian Chats are objectionable, but because they just want that they, they just want that job. Well, these terms, strong voice, uh, youth, you know, new blood, yeah, those kinds of things. That's a kind of apolitical, almost sort of non-ideological appeal that just essentially says you're too old, you ought to get out of the way. Then we have candidates or potential candidates, such as Sarah Palin, who announce for something like this when they really have maybe some other motivation. I, I, for example, Sarah Palin, I don't think really is serious about running for the Senate. No. Could She's, you imagine her in Washington holding on to a job for more than two years? Well, and also I mean, six years you're required to, to while well, you're supposed to spend. But more than two years when she was governor. When she was governor. Right. right. Well, she'd have to serve three years in order to meet that 50 percent standard that right. she set. But look, I mean, she doesn't really want to come here and work on Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell's schedule and come to vote at 10 o'clock at night when she could be on Fox. I mean, that's just not a decision she's going to make. These women, I do think, Hanabusa and Liz Cheney, do want to be in the United States Senate, would like to be the new generation of voices for their parties, who are women. And uh, I think we're seeing a certain surge in the last couple of cycles, and we'll see it in the cycles ahead, of more and more women candidates and more and more women succeeding. We saw in 2012 when there were big ideological uh, battles in the Republican Party. We saw it in Indiana with Richard Murdoch taking on uh, Dick Luger. We saw it with Todd Akin uh, in Missouri. A lot of times those were legitimate ideological battles. No question. Dick Luger was very cozy with Democrats. He also didn't show up that much and he was around for a long, long time. Mike, it's hard to make that same case against Enzi. He is not somebody who reaches across party lines as a habit. Um, whereas I understood the Murdoch challenge to Luger, I don't understand this as much at all. I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here and say that Liz Cheney is betting by making this announcement. I know what you're going to say. Despite the fact that Mike Enzi has said immediately, no, I am running. I'm running for another term. I think she thinks if she gets out there makes it formal, puts out this video, punches him in the nose, he's going to check his gas tank and say, I'm done. There's a possibility that I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. And Mike Enzi does have a history of not being able to raise much money. Now, of course, as a Republican in Wyoming, you don't have to raise much money. As you well remember, no Democrat has won a Senate race in Wyoming since 1970. And you remember Gail McGee. I do. I remember she him was, well. She was great. I, I remember Gail. him well. She was great. But let me just say there is one Democrat alive in Wyoming who could make this race if no, he no. chose to run. There's one Democrat in Wyoming. <laughs> that may also be true. But Dave Friedenthal, who was a very popular and successful governor yep. there in the last decade, uh, were he to run, I think would be taken very seriously, especially if there were a lot of Republicans who resented seeing Mike Enzi shoved aside for Liz Cheney. Now, if of course, if Mike Enzi is shoved aside, then we, and we mentioned this last week, too, the state's only member of the House, Cynthia Lummis, a Republican, said she would run if Enzi does not. And it would be Liz Cheney versus Cynthia Lummis, which would be very interesting. Another Lummis versus Cheney race. Oh, once yeah. again. Once again. Yeah. We've talked about Liz Cheney's ambition. Well, Brian Schweitzer, who everybody thought would be the Democratic nominee to replace Max Baucus in Montana, and that would be a beaut. But uh, Brian Schweitzer said he will not run. Let's just say that Max Baucus probably thought that Brian Schweitzer was going to run, even if he had to run against him. So... Everybody, as you say, expected Brian Schweitzer to make this a, a Democratic uh, seat into the next Hold Senate. on to it, right? Hold on to it. And 
I think that there's a big question mark here. Is he saying, essentially, I don't want to really be in the United States Senate? Or is he saying, I think the years ahead are not going to be too good for the Democrats? Well, there are rumors, and of course, we, we love rumors, but there are rumors that Brian Schweitzer was looking at the presidency in 2016, and that's a possibility as well. There's also been a lot of old Schweitzer stuff that's been unearthed in recent weeks by Republican operatives, and Schweitzer may not have wanted to deal with that as well. But look, the Republicans still need need six seats to take control, assuming, of course, that Cory Booker and the Democrats win the New Jersey special in October. So I think they win South Dakota, where Tim Johnson's retiring. I think they win West Virginia, where Jay Rockefeller is retiring. And now they may win uh, Montana if Steve Daines, the congressman at large, he's not that, I mean, he's not that he's heavy. Not that he's put on some weight, but he's not that at large. So the Republicans win those three. Now they have to win three of the next four. Alaska, Arkansas, Louisiana, North Carolina. I think that three of those four are extremely dangerous for the Democrats. It's doable. But I would say the ones south of the Mason-Dixon line are definitely doable for, for the Republicans. So I think we're right on the line. I think with the Schweitzer decision, I think we're right on that tipping point for the Republicans to take control. Did that have any influence in the decision that some of the Democrats and Republicans made with respect to the filibuster rules? Well, look, as, as Mitch McConnell said, and exactly the same thing that Joe Biden said in 2005, that be careful what you wish for, because the minority party today could be the majority party tomorrow. And it's just funny that if you listen to what Biden said and what Obama said back when they were senators, it's almost word for word what McConnell and the Republicans have said today. Correct. You know, Brian Schweitzer not running in Montana for the Senate is a surprise. So is the decision by Lisa Madigan, the attorney general of Illinois, not to run for governor there. That's right. That would have made it a three-way race with Bill Daley from the famous Daley family of Chicago and Pat Quinn, who is only the sitting Democratic governor of Illinois. And with very poor uh, Ooh, approval ratings. Terrible right? numbers. Well, it's the worst state of 50, I believe, in terms of its fiscal condition and looking at all these pension problems and so on. Right. So he's not in a strong position. But whoever gets the Democratic nomination, cannot be written off in the increasingly blue state of Illinois, you would think Lisa Madigan would want in on that and let these other two better-known men sort of... Uh contest the other side of the vote while she wins the downstate vote and waltzes into office. Look, she's very popular. She's been a very successful attorney general. And I remember during that whole Blagojevich brouhaha... Watch all this brouhaha! Brouhaha? <laughs> uh, from Fireside Theater during the uh, for the Senate battle, she said she didn't want to be in the Senate because she clearly wanted to be governor. Is it possible Lisa Madigan thinks this is just such a rummy year for Democrats in Illinois? She doesn't want to be on the ballot. I don't know. I don't. It just made no sense to me. I, I thought from the beginning that's what she wanted. Her her father, Mike Madigan, who's a very powerful Democrat in the state legislature, has been pushing her career from day one. This was a, as big of a surprise as Brian Schweitzer's announcement was. This was even bigger because I was convinced from day one that Lisa Madigan wanted to be governor. Well, she seemed the odds-on favorite. Some attorneys general do want to be governor of their states. Let's take Greg Abbott of Texas, for example. Greg Abbott, of course, is the very conservative, uh, very uh, Republican state attorney general of Texas. And, of course, now that Rick Perry decided he's not going to run, Greg Abbott is not only the likely Republican nominee, but the likely next governor. We can talk about Wendy Davis and Julian Castro and all the Democratic new fresh faces, but I think uh, the, not in 2014. No, next decade. Next decade, maybe, for those people. And uh, meanwhile, Rick Perry, not running for governor again, running for president in 2016, yes or no, Ken Rudin? Uh, I would say uh, oops. 
Good. Uh, but wait a second. Let's speak about another attorney general. Ken Cuccinelli, of course, is the attorney general of Virginia, who is trailing in the polls. Barely. And, barely. It's a close yeah. poll. But you know something? What's interesting about this is because going back to 1973... The person elected governor of Virginia has always been of the opposite party of the person residing in the White House. Of course, if Terry McAuliffe wins, that streak would be broken. That's right. And that would not probably be the only thing that was broken if Terry McAuliffe were to win. But let's just say this is a battle between problematic candidates, people who are maybe not what the average political consultant would want to be peddling uh, in that state at this particular time. It's a purple state. It goes back and forth. But Terry McAuliffe, a very spiky kind of Democratic operative person who has never been elected to office. He's only run once, of course. He ran the Democratic primary four years ago and lost. Right. And then, of course, Ken Cuccinelli, who is closely associated with all kinds of problematic people. He's got a lot of people on the social conservative side who will cost him votes. And, of course, he's close to Governor Bob McDonald. Who was once upon a time the most popular Republican, not only in the state, but considered a possible Romney running mate, a possible presidential candidate in 2016. His career looks finished given all the conflict of interest and financial questions that have arisen. But certainly problems for politicians respect no party line. Let's consider the absolute cascade of difficulties, apparently self-inflicted, that have overtaken San Diego mayor and former congressman Bob Filner. You know, this is, of course, sexual harassment. Uh, matter of fact, in the Los Angeles Times this week, there was a, an article, unnamed sources, of course, but the women who said that they were groped and kissed and fondled and things like that. Um, and we're talking about Bob Filner now. We're not talking about uh, Ken Rudin? No, no. I, th- I just no. wanted to throw yeah, that thank in. Thank I you for pointing that, that out. In. But no, we should make fun of uh, sexual harassment. And certainly, you know, we talk about the scandals of Elliot Spitzer and Anthony Weiner, but when you come down to it, what Elliot Spitzer did, he frequented prostitutes. What Anthony Weiner did was send inappropriate photographs of himself. Lascivious to, pictures. Oh, well, she was pretty, yeah, uh, lascivious pictures to people on Twitter. But to abuse women, we talk about the war on women. Democrats love to talk about the Republican war on women. What Bob Filner is accused of sounds very Bob Packwood-ish. And yes. Packwood was forced out of the Senate. I can't imagine. I mean, it's one thing that Bob Filner is saying, I need help. I will take sexual harassment awareness classes. It sounds like he's not long for this job, or he shouldn't be, if if this is true. It seems that under the weight of these accusations, it would be very difficult to continue in the extraordinarily high-profile position of being the mayor of a major city. So that brings us to your city, New York City. Well, my former city. Your former city, unless Mariano Rivera is pitching, in which case then you're a New Yorker. And wasn't that a beautiful moment? All those players coming out of the dugout to applaud him. I thought that was magnificent. I know. Even though I have never been even close to a Yankee fan, except as close as I am to you right now. The penultimate closeness. That, I would say was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. But it's not so beautiful for Christine Quinn, the Speaker of the City Council of New York City, because the latest Quinnipiac poll shows that Anthony Weiner has a slight lead. Again... You think she'd do better in a poll that had her name in it? Quinnipiac. Oh! 15 seconds. Wasn't that about 15 seconds? You know something? Except when we edit this podcast and you're stumped, the editors here always... They take away... They take away... They take away that... You get the answers immediately. Senior. Senior Washington editor. Oh, oh, you know, you're you're Spanish? Senior. 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 (laughs) That's why everyone calls me senior. Exactly. Every time I give you a question, there's a long pause. I listen to the podcast later. You know the answer immediately. There's no pause. (laughs) There's no maws either. (laughs) And that's it for this week's political podcast. 
can follow NPR's political coverage at npr.org slash politics. I'm Ron Elving. And I'm Ken Rudin. The podcast is produced by Bracton Booker and edited by Kathy Shaw. And if you've been listening to the podcast these last seven years, first of all... What's wrong with you? ...have our sympathy. (laughs) But if there are favorite moments that you've had, things that Ken may have said, things that were funny... Send your comments uh, and criticisms of Ron to politicaljunkie at npr.org. We will read a selection of them in next week's final episode. Join us again one more time next week for It's All Politics from NPR. How can they do this to us? Mm-hmm.